Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin from the 7th verse, and I will read all through to the 11th verse, to the glory of God. Paul says in the book of Philippians, but whatsoever things were gained to me, he says, I have counted loss for Christ. Whatsoever things were gained to me, he says, I have counted loss for Christ. And he says, yeah, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, verses 10, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Okay? Now, I want to emphasize verses 10 there. And I want you to underline the word, the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Paul has lived all that a successful Jew would have lived in his time. He was a son of a Pharisee, taken to Jerusalem to be taught under one man called Gamaliel. And he aspires high every day. And he's approved of some of the highest ranks than many of his peers. Because he was taught in the perfect manner of the law of his fathers. He was zealous toward God. And the scriptures tell us that he got a confidence in the flesh. Because he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And he talks of touching the righteousness which is in the law. He says he was blameless. So if you're looking for somebody who, according to the law, was clean, blameless, there you have him, Paul. But he says, and all of those things which to him in his time were gain, the Bible says he counted but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. He wanted to count all of that as nonsense. He counted all that glory as done because he wanted to get into the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. There's something about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Not just the knowledge of Christ, but the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. What it means to know God and the excellency that comes with. Okay? And so, 
he goes on and on now to explain the things that he had to align himself and the things that he so desired in his heart to be done in him as he excels in this knowledge. And these are the things he's talking about not being found outside him, but in Christ, not having his own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness, which is of the faith of God. And he then goes into the 10th verse that he may know him. He wanted to know God, to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So when we're talking about the knowing of God, the understanding the power of his resurrection, when we're talking about the fellowship of the sufferings to be made conformable unto his death, all of these are the pillars that stand or are pegged or hold onto the knowledge of God. Okay? The knowledge of God. And today specifically, I want to zero down on the fellowship of his sufferings. Now when you read, of course, you see the word there is sufferings. Not suffering. Not the fellowship of his suffering. But the fellowship of his sufferings. Because there are many ways with which the Christ suffered. Okay? The Bible speaks of the suffering unto death. That's one of the sufferings. So every time we're talking about the sufferings of Christ, some of our believers, Christians, only understand that suffering when he's wounded for our transgressions, he's bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace is upon him. So when they see the lashes, the beating, you know, the scorning on the cross, that is what many people understand as the suffering of Christ. But that is the suffering unto death. That was the suffering that led to his death. That's not the only suffering that the Christ went through. All right? Christ went through various sufferings. All right? Various sufferings. The one of death is one of them. Okay? The Bible says he was tried in all ways. That means that there has to be various ways in which the Son of God was tested and suffered. And these are the things that I seek to pick one of them incidentally because that is what I want to touch. I want to talk about the suffering or the sufferings with the indifferent. With the opposition. With those that hate you. With those that spite at us. With those that scorn at us with those that lot us with no cause, with those that speak evil of us, with those that slander and gossip about us, with those that make conferences about us, with those that write on social media about us, with those that go on radio about us, with those that go on the internet and on WhatsApp and post things that are baseless about us, about you, with those that will blackmail you or have blackmailed you. There are people that sometimes you even ask yourself, but what did I do to this person? What did I do to this man? What did I do to this woman? Okay? And every believer that is going to live godly in Christ, you will suffer that kind of persecution. It will come. It's one of those sufferings. They might not beat you with their hands or lash you with a cane, but they can beat and lash you and harm you with words. Okay? So it happens in the faith. And Christ suffered those things. A man one time called him Beelzebub. 
a prince of devils. Can you imagine that? A man once called Jesus Beelzebul. How many people in Jesus' time, while that man said whatever was said, could have been dissuaded from the way, the truth, and life? Because one fool called the son of God Beelzebul. When he comes eating and drinking, they call him a gluttonous man and a wine biba. Okay? Many people had opinions about Jesus Christ. Many people had ideas about Jesus Christ. Okay? The Bible says in one portion, they hated him with no cause. Someone just looks at Jesus and feels annoyed. And feels so pissed. Because it's written in their law. They hated him without cause. John 15, 25. Some people are like that. And we, believers, will suffer that. I have suffered it. Those of you who are listening to me have suffered it. And if you have not yet, you will suffer it as you continue going up these ranks. But there's something I need to show you. Now, Paul calls this fellowship in his sufferings or fellowship with his sufferings or of his sufferings. He calls it the fellowship with sufferings. He's saying that it's part of our knowledge of Christ to know how to respond, to react, to deal with the sufferings with which Christ suffered. Okay? Now, how are we to react? How are you to react? How are you to respond to the sufferings of those that hate you with no cause? Of the unforgiving, the blackmailers, the backstabbers, you know, the haters, the opposers. How do you deal and Jesus says, or Paul as well implies it, Peter later, I'll read for you as well, say something about it, that the way you respond defines whether you are ready to know God, to move into the deeper places of knowing God, or to stay in your little small battles and stay indifferent and disconnected to the will and purpose of God concerning your life. And I warn people, that countlessly have I seen men of God whose ministries are reduced to nothing, will be reduced to nothing, must be reduced to nothing one day because they do not know how to deal when they are wounded. They don't know how to react to opposition, to those that hate them, to them that spite them, to them you know, that set themselves against them. But also, many of our young people, young men who are growing up in the faith, they have not been taught how to deal when they find themselves in spaces of people who scorn, who slander, who gossip, who blackmail, who do all this nonsense. Okay? So, that is for the victims as well who find themselves part of this story. But also, the people themselves who do it, they do not know how to stop it. They cannot even check themselves to see and search themselves out to understand why do I do the things that I do, even though the word of God is very clear in the way that I should carry myself as a believer. So, the Lord gave me a few things to share with us, very deep things to share with us, and I believe that through this, your eyes will be open to choose 
as of either you stay in that path and destroy yourself one day consequently, or choose the higher law, the royal one, and the responsible one. Choose a higher life and see God elevate you even as your enemies are dealt with. And you won't even celebrate it. Okay? But I want to show you what spirit is at work sometimes within our people. In Acts 24, verses 16, a very powerful scripture that I've lived by, and I have prayed to God every day in all the imperfections of the flesh that my spirit will stay true to align myself or this reality. He says that herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and man. It's the solemn duty of every believer not to bear offense with people, not to have anything against anyone, not to just be there and you just have something against someone. Some people just live in this world like that. They have offense towards someone. Oh, probably somebody had to say something about you, did this to you. But it's your responsibility to always have a conscience void of offense toward man and toward God. Okay? Because it begins with God. And when you leave or exercise, the space of exercising requires a sort of training. Any form of exercise is a training. In other words, it is not something that you are fit into on your first walk of salvation. But it is something that starts to pan out over the years, over some time, because you have deliberated it in your heart to do and live it. Okay? To do and live it. And so, God tells you, exercise yourself to be void of offense toward man and toward God. You exercise, you train yourself to refuse to carry offense. So, so what if somebody has spoken about you? That's okay. So what if somebody spites you? That's okay. So what if somebody hates you? That's all right. So what if somebody writes about you? That's okay. Somebody slanders you and gossips. That's okay. You don't have offense toward them. They are allowed to have offense toward you, but you should not have offense toward them. You don't. You don't carry that. This is the danger of this. That if you continue carrying that offense... Over time, you start to realize that you are working under a particular spirit, which is not of God. And as you continue to transact between these two spirits, the Holy Spirit and you at war for you to do what is right and the spirit of darkness in you to do what is evil, eventually you start to corrupt your ministry. And when you corrupt your ministry, you could go a hundred days dry fasting. You could go on the mountain and back. Such things are not healed through prayer. They are healed through the restoration of the human heart to the revelation of love. Because God prizes the purity of spirit in the revelation of himself toward mankind. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see the Lord. They shall see God. You cannot see God without a purity of heart. It's the wisdom from above that seeks or defines that purity of the spirit. Because wisdom is here on seven pillars. All right? And in James 3, he speaks about that wisdom and what the wisdom of God does in your life. Because it's the principal thing 
He says the wisdom that is from above, he says, is first pure. And because it carries a pure heart, it is peaceable. It seeks to make peace. And because it seeks to make peace, it's gentle. It is easy to be entreated or corrected. Some people are so selfish that even when they are wrong, they cannot be corrected. They would rather something works their way or no way. You understand? But some of them, it's not that they know what they're actually doing. They don't intend to be that. Inwardly, they're not bad people, but they're fighting with something that they don't have a name for. Okay? It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And these things are important. Hypocrisy. It's without hypocrisy. It's without partiality. It has good fruits. It has mercy. It's easy to entreat. It is gentle. It is peaceable. And it is pure. And he's saying this is the proof that a man or woman is functioning under the wisdom of God. And if you're not functioning under the wisdom of God, then you are functioning under the wisdom of the devil, Lucifer, Satan. That's what you're functioning under. And it is easy for a Christian who is full of the Holy Spirit to be dissuaded out of the way and digress into the working of another spirit without knowing it. Without knowing it in the mind, I mean. Your spirit will give you that light, but you can continue ignoring it. But your mind can be bleak about it. Because that's what deception does. One time a story is given, Jesus was going to visit the Samaritans. And uh, in Luke chapter 9, verses 51, the Bible says, It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So he sent people ahead to go and prepare for him to enter the Samaritan village and minister. And verses 53 said, And these Samaritans did not receive him. They didn't take him in because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, James and John, remember, they said, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Allow us. Eh? John and James had understood authority, the power of prayer. They were not doubting that it would not happen. You allow us to do it. So we can call fire from heaven to come and consume these fools for refusing to accept you. To come and consume them for refusing to receive you. And verses 55 says, but the Bible says he turned, this is Jesus, he turned and rebuked them. And he said, you know what manner of spirit you are of? Do you know what manner of spirit is working in you? To turn, to kill, to destroy, to send fire from heaven. Because men have turned their way against receiving God. And 56, he says a very powerful statement. And he says, for the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. What spirit is at work in you, prophet? 
apostle, bishop, pastor, evangelist, to seek to pronounce death a curse, destruction, failure on somebody because they did not respond the way you wanted them to respond to you. Of what spirit is at work in our fathers today? Some are not even fathers. They just claim the position. But they wake up and churches are full of cursing men. Oh, that one will die. Oh, that one will not have peace. Oh, that one will not see the light. Oh, that one will fall in an accident. Oh, that one will be destroyed. Oh, that one will be no more. And this is a man of God speaking. Destruction and death on a church member, a spiritual son, a spiritual daughter, or somebody, because they've set themselves against him or his desire, or they're not doing what he wants them to do. And Jesus is asking, do you know of what manner of spirit you are? Some of the people that some of the men and women of God have cast in ministry, served and have served them. Okay, somebody has served you for three years faithfully and they fail you the fourth year. And that one mistake, you pronounce death over their lives. What about the three years they served you? What about the three years they were true to you? What about those three years they were faithful to you? What if they never were even faithful to you in the first place? What does the Bible say the Son of God came to do? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to save lives and not to destroy lives. He came to save men. That even the most fallen man at the worst nature of his fallen nature, they still a heart of God seeking for the restoration and salvation of that soul. That is why even if I've fallen out with somebody as a believer or in church, even if they go and speak evil about me, I will never speak a curse over a son of man. Because I know the power of that. I know what spirit that does. But more than that, I could put something on my ministry I could put reproach on my ministry in the spirit. A falsehood on my ministry in the spirit without knowing. Or yes, I might curse that person and it might not go well with them. But it will not go well with my ministry either. Why? Because I've gone off the course of the revelation of the heart of God. The heart of Jesus Christ is a heart of love. Not pretense, but true love. Hallelujah, glory to God. So, when we see when Jesus is rebuking, when he turns and rebukes his disciples, he's trying to tell us something. That no man under the true spirit of God will just wake up to seek to cause fire to come out of heaven and consume people. Because Elijah did it. Well, are you in the same covenant as Elijah was? Are you in the same covenant as Elijah was? You are not in the same covenant as Elijah was. You are in a better covenant that speaketh better things. It has better promises. This covenant has a mediator. 
If Elijah was in 2020, he would not have called fire from heaven to kill men. In fact, when God is speaking about the false prophets and the Antichrist, he says how they shall do diverse miracles, and one of them is that they shall call fire from heaven. But I believe that the calling of that fire from heaven is a demonstration of wrath toward people that have opposed them. And God says that that is not the spirit of God. The Bible speaks of a very notable man, Moses. I think Jesus Christ and Moses are the two most fundamental definers of the covenants under which we function. And Moses, you know better, the Bible says, was the most humble man on the earth. The Bible says in Numbers 12. And he knew the way of God. The Bible says that Moses knew the ways of God. He knew. He understood how God functions. He understood the heart of God. God made known unto him his ways. And so, one of those days in Deuteronomy, he has a challenge or a war with uh, Shihon, the Amorite. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 24, God appears to Moses and tells him because the Amorite had set himself against the man of God and Israel and the man of God Moses seeks the face of God touching this enemy and God gives Moses an answer and I want you to understand this is the enemy the Amorite is the enemy of the Israelite and the man of God is seeking God's mind on what it is to do touching this enemy and the scriptures tell us Moses seeks the face of God, and God tells him in Deuteronomy 2, verses 24, he tells him, rise ye up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thy hand Shihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land, being to possess it and contend with him in it in battle. All right? He's saying, I have given you those enemies. They are your enemies, but when you go through that land, I know you're on a journey and you fear that the moment you enter that land, they will turn against you and fight you because they are sworn enemies of the Jew. But God tells Moses, I have given you power over Shihon the Amorite, the king of the Hezbon and all his fellows. The moment you enter that land, you will defeat them in battle. So Moses knows that the moment he enters and they turn against him to fight, he will surely defeat them. I know many men of God in 2020, who if they had known that the victory was guaranteed, considering that these people were their enemies and enemies of Israel, they would have celebrated and immediately gone into those camps to slaughter every one of them because they think or the spirit at work within them, which is not the spirit of God, is so satisfied at vengeance, at the destroying of anything that does not agree with them. Verses 25, God tells Moses, this day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven. Who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee? And I sent, Moses is now narrating the story, messengers out of the wilderness of Kedemoth and to Shehon, the king of Hezbon, with words of peace. I know, did you get it? He is supposed to be going to fight these fellows, God has guaranteed him not only victory, but he's going to put a hedge of fear on him. And all the nations that will hear of the battle 
with the Amorite will fear because God was supposed to cause that war to be so dreadful for the Amorite and so destructive for the Amorite, so victorious for the Jew, that he was intending to leave a testimony forever to the nations that surround the Jews or attack the Jews that that history proves that God can not only destroy the enemies of Israel, but he can cause fear for the Israelites wherever they go. And this God had given Moses of guarantee. Moses was sure. Like I said, I know many men and women of God in 2020 who if that was the guarantee that at least they want to enter a church and curse one person and that person dies, so everybody in the church should fear them. Oh, they would take it. They would take it any day. The next day, they would stand and say, this so-and-so is going to die tomorrow at 2 p.m. And eventually, a fear would grip all these people. And when fear grips them, they start going around saying, you see, I told you. I told you. I have told you. I told you. I told you. He would die. I told you. She would die. Because that's who they are. Even if the Amorite dies, of what spirit are you? It's not about the death of the Amorite here now. We're talking about the spirit. Look at the man who knew the ways of God. He knows that victory is theirs. He's going to destroy and kill. He's going to command a fear. But the Bible says he sends messengers to Shihon, the king of the Amorites, saying, I want to make peace. I want to go through your land with peace. I have victory over you. I can kill you. But I'm extending an olive branch to allow me to go through because I would rather your life is spared even though you're my enemy. So the Bible says, the message was, 27, let me pass. This is Moses sending to the king of the Amorites. Let me pass through thy land. I will go along by the highway. I will neither turn unto the right hand nor the left. Thou shalt sell me meat for money. I don't want your food for free that I may eat. And give me water for money. I don't want your water for free that I may drink. Only that I may pass through on my feet. As the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and the Moabites, which dwell in Ar, did unto me, until I shall pass over Jordan into the land which the Lord our God giveth us. But Shehon, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him. He still refused. Well, Moses will take his way through and beat the hell out of you. But he's not doing it because he was given the guarantee and power to do it. The heart of love, the revelation of God did not intend to destroy Shihon and his people. The man just wanted a peaceful march through the land on his way to journey. That is the spirit that I'm trying to help you understand. What is that thing in a man that seeks to see somebody destroyed? And God says that that is not the spirit of God. Some people, when they hear, oh, this person has a problem, they clap. No, even if the worst stuff happened to my enemy, I would still feel sorry for him. Because the son of God came to save. And he or she too are a victim of deception. That's the way of the spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 15, Peter says something very wonderful. He says, for this is the will of God. That with doing well, continuing to do good. The Bible says you put to silence 
the ignorance of foolish men. This is a very powerful sentence. Very powerful statement. I'm going to qualify it for you. He says, God wills it that you continue to be good in spite of the sufferings of your enemies. That you continue to do good to them. Continue to do good. For he says, this will put to silence those people. Now, this silence is not that you continue doing things until they just keep quiet. No. The Greek word there is phimo. And phimo is likened to, if you have a wild dog, a dog that is wild, okay? And it bites everybody. So what you do, they tell you, you know what? The only way to hold this dog from harming people, you're going to have to put a muzzle in its mouth. And then you put a muzzle in the mouth of that dog. So it tries to back back and tries to bite somebody, but it cannot bite because the muzzle is holding its mouth. Okay? That is the silence God is talking about. That if people set themselves against you, you have opponents or enemies, people that despite you and hate you, God says, you just continue walking and living in the spirit of goodness. And God promises you that in the process will put a muzzle on their mouth. It doesn't mean that their intention to hurt you will cease. Their intention to blackmail you will stop. Their intention to slander you or speak evil about you will cease. No, they will have it. They will even slander, but they will not bite. That's what God is saying. They will speak all they want, but you will look at yourself and there will be no wound on you. Your ministry will not be affected. Your marriage will not be affected. Your job will not be affected. Your career will not be affected. So they will talk all they want, but God will make sure that he will silence their mouths because God doesn't need to cause a man to stop speaking to silence him. No. A man can continue speaking and God just lowers his volume. A man can continue, you know, slandering you and God just puts his volume lower until people look at him and they just see his mouth moving. Yeah, he's speaking, but his voice can't get to the ears of those that matter. And God says you can do that by continuing to do well. Refuse to be consumed. Some people, oh, they turn against me. I attack you. You know, I've heard even preachers who boast about it. If you turn on me, I turn on you. If you wrong me with funny words, I correct you with death. Of what spirit are you? Verse 6, he says, as free men, okay, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, that when you carry the liberty of the spirit, do not put on the cloak of malice. Because those things are not of the spirit of God. They are for immature people. Okay? And the Bible says, but as servants of God. And then verse 17, he says something. He says, honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king. Those are your leaders. Honor your leaders. Fear God. Love the brethren and honor all men. I don't agree with every man of God. I don't agree with all bishops, all priests, all fathers, all evangelists, all prophets. I don't agree with them. But that doesn't mean that I should disrespect them. No. Hello. How are you? You know, but there are these men of God, they even meet you, they even look away. They even turn their heads like this. Like you're the dumbest thing that they've ever met. You're the scum of evil. You understand? They loathe at you. No. Even if a man is not born again, God has called us to honor people. Even your slaves in your home, honor them. Honor all men. Anything that has life and is created in the image of God deserves honor. Even its most fallen 
nature. Just respect it. Hello. Greet and move on. You don't need to have conversations with them. But neither should you ignore to greet them because they are bad. No. That's them. That's who they are. But you do well. Just continue doing well. Just do well. And the Bible says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Okay? Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. How do you talk to your boss? Even if he's the toughest person, speak in humility. Some forward bosses, they will not change. They will still lash at you and abuse you. Stay humble. Keep your place. Keep your place. That's what he's saying. And the Bible says, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God, remember the other conscience, void of offense, for conscience toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. That's the conscience that is exercised every day. You endure grief. These sufferings that Christ went through. It's one of those sufferings. And he says, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Yeah, you could suffer because you're wrongdoer. And they can even assume that you're a wrongdoer when you're not. But you could suffer when you're a wrongdoer. That's a problem. But that's why I tell people that if you attack a man or a woman of God, make sure that you are right. Because if in any way the facts given you have been misconstrued, you're not going to give the excuse of ignorance that I did not know the truth. I just took it as it was. God fights for them. Hallelujah. God fights for believers. God fights for his saints. So, let's continue. And he says, For even here unto were ye called. You were not just asked or advised to do this as a believer or a child of God. You were called to this. You were called to this responsibility. You were called to this life and accountability toward God. He says, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his footsteps. Jesus left an example. The Greek word there for example is hupogramos. Hupogramos. Now, hupogramos is more than just he did what was right. No, but it's as though he left you a written copy, manual of how he responded to his detractors, his haters his opposers, those that used to spite him, those that used to blackmail or slander him. It's as though he left you a written copy, hupogramos, a written copy, an underwriting of proof, not of the things he went through, but of how he responded to the things he went through. So he set that example for you. And he continues to say, who did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Anytime, anything, anybody would set himself against him, he just commits himself to God. Oh, when I learned this years ago, I learned gold. I want something so powerful. If anybody do anything to me, I just commit myself unto God. And I say, God, judge this matter. And that's it. I'll never go back on it again. And 
Recently, I was examining myself and I looked back at any man or woman that ever set themselves against me in my course of the gospel. And I saw every one of them God has dealt with. Not because I wanted them to go through what they went through. I don't celebrate the stuff they're going through, have gone through. I don't clap my hands and say, aha, now you see not to mess with me. No. But I have seen the seriousness of God when it comes to his anointed. That's why I walk void of offense toward man. Because I don't know what that could do to me. My heart fears to cross somebody in the honestness of my heart. I fear to cross somebody because I don't know. Nobody who has ever fought me is above me. In any aspect, God has silenced and dealt with them. I look back and it's so amazing. Not one of them. And that's not only for me. But if you examine yourself as well, if you're one of a pure heart, you know there are people who do that all the time, so they're just reaping what they sow. But if you have a pure heart, you will see that he is the saving strength, the Bible says, of his anointed. Don't fight men. Don't fight men. Don't fight men. Wait it out. Give it 10 years, 5 years, 3 years, 2 years, 20 years. The end of the Lord is always clear. Don't seek to fight out. The Jesus who left us such a great calling, when he was reviled, the Bible says he reviled not. He reviled not. He did not fight back because they fought him. That's not the Jesus we represent. He did not threaten because he was... Eh? One time I was driving with a man of God many years ago. I was a very young man in the faith. And um, we were on the road driving and there was an old man with a car as well coming toward us. So we reached a road that was narrow and uh, this man of God in the car that I was with wanted to have a way through and the old man who was I believe 30 years or 20 years older than him also wanted to pass through and so they started fighting for space now this minister that I was with felt that he had an entitlement to pass first because he is a man of God okay that was the mentality in his head and the old man, I believe, insisted because on part of that route, he had gotten in first. And so he thought it was obvious for the man of God to leave way for him. I'm observing these things in a chair. And they fight and fight for space. And then before we know that, the man of God lost because the old man had already taken the spot where to pass. And as the old man bypasses us in the window... The man of God puts down his window and turns to this old man and tells him, let me see whether you will reach where you're going. And he pulled up his window and he turned to me and he said, these people don't know who we are. They don't know what it's like to mess with the anointing. So he would rather that a husband of a certain woman, a father of certain children, an uncle, a breadwinner, probably the pillar of a household, dies in a car accident 
or gets a puncture or gets an accident of any sort so that he, this man of God, would be satisfied that he has power and authority to do as he wills because God anointed him. And I remember going back home and the Spirit of the Lord whispered in my heart and said, never do that. So for me, the lesson from that man of God was never to do the stuff I saw him do. And I, I look back and I see why certain people, even in seeking God, will never see him. Because their hearts are not pure. They don't understand the way of love. It is a very far thing. It's a very far thing. They can't understand the voice of love. Even when it speaks to rebuke or correct. Because all they know is to war. The man we're representing did not threaten back. He did not fight back. He did not seek to establish his place as a son of God. But he humbled himself as unto the cross. And the Bible says, and because of that, he was given a name above all names. Under the sound of that name, every knee bows. Every tongue confesses that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is how we go up. This is how we excel in the knowledge of God. And this is amazing. Let us go back in verses 23. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Now, you see, after the word righteously, if you're reading the KJV, there's a full colon there. There's a full colon there. And that full colon is saying, so whatever is given right and authority to be done in the next verses is as a result of the state of his heart and reaction in the verses before. And because he was that kind of man, the Bible says, who his own self bear our sins on his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by his stripes you were healed. He fulfilled his ministry. He fulfilled his mission because he had come to die for mankind. But God would not find him a worthy minister if he would not know how to suffer and not threaten. If he did not know how to be reviled and not reviled back. If he did not know how to keep quiet and hold his peace even when they're setting themselves against him. This is what God is saying. Because he did these things, now he enters into the responsibility the Father has sent him for the hour to bear our own sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead unto sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes the ministration both of death and resurrection and healing takes place as a completion of his ministry because he did not revile or threaten or fight back or set himself against those people. Had Jesus done that, the Father would not let him die for our sins. The Father would not let him become our righteousness or carry our sins to give us righteousness. But on a personal note for him, he would not fulfill the will and purpose of God concerning his life. And there are people who have been heavily called and anointed by God, but their assignments, 
the purpose of their ministry, their next level of mission has been cut short because they responded to evil with evil. They speak, they gossip, they slander, they fight. So again, I tell you, you choose between the two of you. Choose between the fulfillment of your ministry and the assignment versus the taking it on and having war with another. And that shows the state of your heart from the beginning. Whether you really loved God or you were in the ministry for your own self. To get to the next level of our ministry, our courses and calling, we make that choice. We make that choice. We fellowship in his suffering. Because later we see the resurrection. For the joy that is set before him, the Bible says, he endured the cross. When you see what God intends to do in your life, you withstand the drama, the garbage, the foolishness, the nonsense, the slander, and choose to walk in love. If you don't do that, there are no mysteries and revelation beyond the revelation of love because it's the deepest dimension of the spirit and exists in every dimension of the spirit, whether in life or death, love abides constant. If you cannot know the way of love, even if you speak in tongues of men and angels, you're nothing. You're nothing. Even if you speak the deepest prophetic words or prophesy the best prophetic words in the world or, you know, win the biggest number of souls, but have not love. The Bible says you are nothing. You are empty. You're just a sounding symbol. There's nothing to you. Be something. Be something to the glory of God. To the glory of God. I want you to raise your voice and speak to God right now. Just speak to God. Just speak to God. Just speak to God. Just speak to God. Speak to God. I then shall lead as one who's learned compassion. I've been so loved that I'll risk loving too. I know how fear builds walls instead of bridges. I'll dare to Another's point of view, and when relationships demand commitment, there I'll be there. Follow through I then shall 
you have called us to do and to finish well and if that has to be to fellowship in your sufferings to know what to do when we are heart spited, snared blackmailed opposed hated you left us an example a copy of your response and we choose the way of love because we need to feed that hungry world the world needs to know you and we cannot be held back because we did not know how to walk the way of love help us have mercy on us 
align us. Bring peace, purity, understanding, virtue, and reconciliation in the body of Christ. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I pray for the sick right now. May you be healed in the mighty name of Jesus from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. I speak to your finances, I speak to your life, your health, your family, your children. That they are all blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And if you're there, you've never given your life to Christ. You want to be born again. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You just need to repeat these words after me right now and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you. Because you shed your blood for me and was raised for my glory. And tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior and born again. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he give you peace. May he uphold you. May he sustain you. May he establish you. May he walk through you and lift his countenance upon you with health, with joy, with peace and glory. In Jesus' mighty name, Father, we thank you. Hallelujah. Glory to the God. message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 41 466 4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.